All right, we are in part two of a series called Save Me. If you were here last week, we started it last week. We wanted to take a few weeks leading up to Easter to really talk about the Easter story because it is so much more than just a story that we have at the Easter time. It is everything to us. The Easter story, the gospel message. Last week, we talked about the very beginning, Adam and Eve, sin entered the world. Sin entered the world and everything is broken. Our relationship with God is broken. God designed us to have a relationship with him. Sin has entered the world, not just Adam and Eve, but now all of humanity. And that relationship with God is broken. We talked about that last week. We read a few verses from Romans, and we're going to continue on. If you have your Bible, Romans chapter 3 is where we're going to spend most of our time today. But to this week, we're going to jump off of where we were last week. Everything is broken, and part two is just as optimistic. We can't fix it, okay? Everything is broken, and we can't fix it. Have you ever tried in like a, maybe you're somebody here who considers yourself a handyman on the on the bell curve of handyman in the world I'm kind of right in the middle I can do some things but it doesn't take me long to realize I'm in way over my head have you ever been in the middle of a project and you realize I should never have attempted to fix this yes I see that hand um, typically we realize uh, when we're in the middle of the project that, oh, oops, I should have taken a picture or several pictures of how this is supposed to go back together. Um, I think, and I'll just speak for the men here. Um, men, we fall into two categories as far as home fix it. Um, we, we either underestimate our abilities or we overestimate our abilities. Underestimating your abilities goes a little something like this when a, when a child comes and says, Dad, the remote, in the, the, the remote batteries are dead. The remote control batteries are dead, and you're like, well, I guess we better call somebody, you know, like, get somebody in here to fix that. It's probably going to co cost an arm and a leg, but it's time to sell this old house. You know, it's all falling apart. That's underestimating your abilities. You can, you can solve that problem. Now, I think some of us fall into the overestimating our abilities where we think anything that's broken, doesn't matter, computer, furnace, you know, plumbing, electrical, we're like, car, I got this. And there's been several times, I'll give one example, we had an, an, a Nintendo Wii console, video game console, and every time you put the disc in, something was loose and it would start making this really loud rattling noise. And so I thought, I can fix that. I, got, I can fix that. So, and Nintendo is smart and cruel because they, give, they have all the little screws that you need to take the thing apart are different shapes. They're like special shapes, like little triangle, whatever. So I had to go buy a special screwdriver to do this because I think, well, clearly they've underestimated my abilities to fix this. So I had it all apart, and I found the culprit. I'm like, okay, there, there's what's, and I bent it back, and I kind of fixed it. And then I put it, I plugged it in. I'm like, no more noise. This is awesome. I'm a genius. And then I put it all back together, and I realized then, when it was all back together, I'm like, what's that over there? That's like parts still missing. <laughs> It's like the opposite of a surgeon who left materials inside the patient. I left materials outside of the fix-it job. I'm like, oh, those parts can't be that important. I put it all back together, and it's still working, but it, it only worked for about a half an hour, and then it all went kaput, and I realized, well, those parts probably were important. I overestimated my abilities. Well, in regard to the problem we introduced last week, sin in the world, our relationship with God is broken, we like to think we can fix it. We like to think we can fix it that um, we can say, I'll just be a good person, I'll do some good deeds, I'll give some money to the church, 
I'll volunteer at a homeless shelter. I'll do all these good deeds, and that is going to fix this problem. Clearly, God, you have to be okay with me now. Look at all the good things that I've done. Maybe you talk to somebody and you say, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Or what does it mean to go to heaven? And you, would, and you hear people say, well, you just be a good person. Have love in your heart. Do your best. And we like to think we can fix it. But sin has broken our relationship with God, and we cannot fix it. We are in Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at those verses we looked at last week. And uh, we're going to reread Romans 3, 23 and 24, which is what we looked at last Sunday, and then we're going to continue on. So I'm going to read Romans 3, verse 23 through 26. The words will be up on the screen as we do this. It says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So there is a lot in those verses. There's a lot of big churchy words in there. Now, we read The problem of sin has broken our relationship with God, and Jesus Christ has come, died on the cross. We're familiar with this story if you've been around church, and has paid the price for our sin. But there's a lot of other words in those verses we just read. And you might think, well, why did Jesus really need to die? Jesus came, it says here in Romans, God sent Jesus, God presented Christ as a sacrifice for atonement, basically to pay the price for our sin. But why did that need to happen? Couldn't God just say, you know what? mankind, it's okay. It's okay. It was just an apple. You know, it's just a little sin. It's not a big deal. Let's just overlook it. Let's just do your best. You got good hearts. You're trying really hard. Um, let's just forget about that whole thing. Um, I've found that our view of sin is like that at times, where we have sin in our life. Actually, we have kind of two different views of sin. When it's our sin and when it's somebody else's sin, right? When it's ours, it's like, ah, you know what? It's not a big deal. I didn't mean to. It was an accident. I didn't mean it. We're okay, right, God? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know? And then somebody else's is just like, whoa, I have been wronged. God, you need to do something about this. We experience this in our house with our children, and I'm going to tell more stories today of my kids, but my wife is here today. If you were here last week, Christy was home with a sick kid, so I got to tell all the the, the good stories, and I don't know if she's, if she's listened online yet, but now she's going to check up on me. We have four kids. We don't deal with it as much as we did when they were a little bit younger, but we deal with it a lot in the, issue, in the, in the area of transgression and punishment, right? Parents, it is hard being consistent with consequences of, and punishment. So an example, if one kid... We'll, we'll have a situation where we'll hear something going on upstairs. One kid does something to another kid. Well, the, the kid that was wronged will come down, and what do they want? They want justice, right? They want justice for sister or brother that did something wrong. They want justice to come down like heaven's thunder on them, like, dad, do something. But then if it's the kid who did the wrong, they come down, and what do they want? Well, they want mercy. They want my dad. It was an accident. Everything's an accident, right? You accidentally hit your brother in the face. How is that an accident? The famous um, in our house story of it was an accident was several years ago. Betty must have been maybe three or four. 
Um, we had just made a big investment as a family and, and uh, bought a grand piano because we're a very musical family, and this was a big investment for us. And I think we're still paying it off. <laughs> um, it was that big. Um, well, Betty had taken a Sharpie and written the letter B. She was learning her letters, so she had written the letter B on every one of the keys. 88 keys. 88 letter Bs. And I went in, and I'm just like, Betty, and she looks, and she's like, it was an accident, <laughs> you know. <laughs> All those bees. Your penmanship is great, Betty, but I'm pretty sure that was intentional. Well, it got worse because we tried a few household cleaners and realized this ain't coming off. And so we, we Googled, and uh, rubbing alcohol did the trick. So just in case Betty's over at your house and draws her name on all the keys, rubbing alcohol is the way to go. Um, we have these views of sin in our life. When it's us, we can say, it was an accident. It's not a big deal. Why did Jesus have to die? It's not a big deal. It's just sin. Well, those verses we read in Romans, they talk about that God is merciful, he is loving, but they also talk about this, that God is righteous, that God is just. We read those verses, the justice of God, the righteousness, to demonstrate his righteousness. So what that means, God is holy. God is perfect. God is sinless. So we have holy, perfect, sinless God, and we have sinful, broken people. Well, there is Something that God cannot just overlook it. His holiness and his justice demands that he must not tolerate sin, which includes our sin. So that is why the relationship is broken. And the only suitable punishment in regards to a holy, perfect, just God and sinful people, sin, any sin, is death. That's the only suitable punishment. Which is why in the Old Testament, God instituted the sacrifice system where animals, you would sacrifice a lamb and the blood would be shed and that would atone for the people's sins until you had to do it again. It was definitely an imperfect system, you know, especially for the animals, obviously, but, you know, it was an imperfect system and everyone longed for the day where in the book of Isaiah, which we'll read in a little bit, they would prophesy about the Messiah who was come and he would pay the price for our sins once and for all. But that is why we had that system. Something needed to die. Blood needed to be shed to pay the price for the sin of the people. So this is not about being a good person. Think of the best person you know. Now think of the worst person you know. As far as good deeds and bad deeds, maybe there's a little gap in there, right? But how is that compared to the best person in the world, Mother Teresa or whoever it is, and perfect, holy sinless God. There is no way good deeds could ever measure up to that. There's no way that good deeds are ever going to pay that price for our sin. We are sinful. We fall short, as the book of Romans said, we fall short of God's glory, his perfect holiness. We've all fallen short, and we can't fix it. There's a picture I want to put up on the screen. Grant or Charlie, whoever's up there, can you throw it? There it is. I don't know if you can see that. See what that is? That's Lady Justice. That's a statue you would see, something like that, outside of most courthouses. And Lady Justice has a blindfold on because Justice is blind, and she's holding the scales of justice, all right? So what that signifies is that in a court, when we're seeking justice, the scales weigh the evidence on both sides. We put all the evidence for the case, and we see which one weighs more, bears more weight, and we can come up with a verdict, and that's how it kind of works in the courthouse. 
I have not spent a lot of time in a courthouse, but I was there once as the defendant, <laughs> you know, in my, you know, I have a pretty illustrious career running from the, the law, you know, no, I'm just kidding. Why do you think I moved here from Canada? Um, when, I was a, when I was a youngster, I was, I think I was 18, so I had my license for a while. I was driving one of my parents' cars, and in Canada, the registration tab only needed to go on the back plate. You didn't need one on the front plate at the time. Um, and so I was driving, but our plates, uh, the registration tab was on the front, not on the back. Not a serious sin, you know, but it got me pulled over. And so the officer came up and said, you don't have a registration. I said, yeah, it's on the front. And he said, well, let me see the registration. And so I tried, looked in the glove box. Well, there wasn't anything there. He's like, let me see your license. And I'm like, oh, man, I forgot my license. <laughs> and so he said, you forgot your license. I said, yes. And I was, you know, pretty young. He says, what class of license is it? I'm like, uh... The normal one? He's like, is it a class six or whatever it was? I don't remember the number. And I said, sure. He's like, well, that would explain why you didn't have it on you. He's like, let me see your insurance. And I'm like, uh, would you believe there's no <laughs> record of insurance either? So he says, hang on. He goes back to his car, and I'm sitting there. I'm sweating. And he comes back with four tickets, okay? One for not having my license. One for having the wrong class of license because he just assumed I had a learner's license, which I didn't. I had a real one, but I got the ticket anyways. One for not having a registration and one for not having insurance. And all of them had a different fine on them except the insurance one, and it said the word court. It said the word court because driving without insurance was a no-no, and I had to go stand before a judge. So a few weeks later, stood before the judge. I got all the stuff. I showed it to him. I said, here's my license. It's a real license. Here's our registration. We had it registered. Here's our proof of insurance. I put it all on the scales of justice. You know, here's all the evidence for the case. And the judge looked at it, and all he said, okay, you don't need to pay anything except the fine for not having your license on you. And that was $5 at the time. So I'm like, great, I'll go pay that right now. So I was vindicated. Justice prevailed. That's my experience with a court of law, the scales of justice. Well, we like to view God like this as far as our sin. That God is the judge, and we go, and we see the scales of justice like this. I'm going to put all my good stuff on one side. And I'm going to put all the bad things I've done on the other side. And if the good outweighs the bad, then I'm good, right? Then I'm good, God. Well, that's not how it works. Here's how it works with us and God. All of us goes on one side. All our good, all our bad, everything we've done, all our failures, victories, everything we've ever done goes on one side. And that measures up against God's perfect holiness, sinless holiness. Well, that's never going to measure up. There is a large gap there. There's an inequality there. An inequity. You know the word iniquity, another word for sin that we read in the Bible? Well, that's where that word comes from. Inequity. An inequality between our best righteousness and holy God. There is nothing that can fix that. There is no way we can measure up to that perfect holiness. And God can't overlook it. He can't just say it's not a big deal. He's perfect and holy. But because God is merciful and loving... Because he is full of mercy and grace, as well as being just and righteous and holy, he sent Jesus, his sinless, perfect son, to die on the cross for you and me. And that was how the penalty was paid. And so now, scales of justice, how it works is we get on one side, all our good, all our bad, all our sin, everything, and Jesus gets on the scale with us. And now God looks at us and says, pardoned, mercy, forgiveness. 
he sees the price has been paid. He sees the price has been paid. Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 6 says this, talking about Jesus. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. There's that word, that inequality, that iniquity that we have. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. His blood was shed for you and me. The price was paid. The penalty for our sin was met. And God looks at the scales of justice. All of us, no matter who we are, what we've done, what our past looks like, when we receive that mercy and grace of Jesus, God looks at us and says, justified, paid for, forgiven. Everything we've done, our sin has been atoned for. It has been made right. That relationship with God that has been broken is now restored That every time God looks at us, he doesn't see our failure. He doesn't see your sin, your brokenness. He sees the price that Jesus paid every time. Every time he sees the blood that was shed for you, and he declares you forgiven. So I wanted to highlight a couple things in the few minutes we have left. And there's a couple things I want to talk about God's forgiveness. And the first is this, and it's going to be up on the screen. God's forgiveness is costly. God's forgiveness is costly. It is carried a high price. Somebody had to die for our forgiveness. For your forgiveness, to be seen as forgiven by God, somebody had to die. Jesus suffered and died in our place to pay the price. So let's live, we should live in light of this. We should live every day with that on our mind. Jesus, you paid a high price so that this relationship, can, I can have a relationship with God, that I can live forgiven and free and joyful. You paid a high price, so I want to live every day mindful of that, which means I don't want to be flippant about sin. I don't want to just say, ah, oh, it's not a big deal. I don't want to have areas in my life that I know are areas of sin and compromise and say, ah, oh, it's not a big deal. God's going to forgive me. No, a high price was paid, so we're never going to be completely sinless and like have total victory over this until we get to heaven. We're always going to stumble. We're always going to have areas that we are tempted in and struggle with, but we should always have in mind, Jesus, you paid this price. I don't want to just be ho-hum and flippant and just whatever about sin and be like, continue to sin and say, okay, well, now, God, I need your forgiveness again, and continue to sin. Okay, God, I need your forgiveness again. There's going to be times when we mess up, but let us live every day striving for righteousness, saying, Jesus, you paid this price. I want to live with that in mind. Romans 6, 1 through 2 says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Should we go on sinning, just saying, well, I know God's going to forgive me? No. We should look at it this way. Our old life of sin died with Christ. Now we have new life in Jesus Christ. Christy's going to be preaching next Sunday. She's going to talk more about that. I invite you to come back. Invite some friends. What it means to have this new life in Christ. But first, got to walk every day with that recognition that God's forgiveness was costly. It cost Jesus everything. He suffered and died for us. The second one... I want to highlight is this. God's forgiveness is complete. 
It is costly, and it is complete. If you have ever confessed your sin to Jesus, you have ever accepted his mercy, you've accepted him acknowledging that you needed a Savior, your sins are forgiven. Your sin is paid for. It is forgiven. There is a great passage of Scripture in Psalms 103, some great verses that talk about this, this mercy, how the mercy of God, his forgiveness is complete. Psalm 103, verse 8 through 12. 103, verse 8 through 12. It says this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. Think about that. East, west. How far is the east from the west? Did I get that right? East and west? Um, How far is the east from the west? It's infinite. There's no way to measure it. It's eternal. Now, some of you might be thinking, you geography majors might be thinking, well, actually... If you left here and one person went east and one person went west, eventually you'd meet up again in western Russia. And that's not what the scripture is saying. God didn't take all our sins and send them to Russia, okay? That's not what Psalm 103 says. Although if he did, that would be super like America version of scripture. USA, take that, Russia. Here's all our sins. You can have them. What Psalm 103 says is as far as the east is from the west, it's eternal, It's eternal. He has removed our transgressions. When we are under the blood of Jesus Christ, when we receive that forgiveness, east and west, that's as far as your sin and your failure and your transgression is from you. Right? That is good. Some of you are thinking, man, I wish I could just escape past failures. And there are sometimes earthly consequences for past failures that we have to deal with. But as far as heaven is concerned, under the blood of Jesus, it is gone. In the New Testament, the word forgiven is there often. And in the original Greek language, that word forgiven that's used means to be removed from your possession, to be taken away from you. I love that. I love that idea of we think, where's, where's that past sin? It's been removed. It's been removed. It's been forgiven. Your sin is gone. East and west, there is no limit to the love of God and the mercy of Jesus Christ. I'm saying this, and I think there's probably people here who are still burdened by past, still burdened by past mistakes. And you're thinking, I live every day with the consequences, not only earthly consequences, but with the guilt every day, every day. Some of you think, I would love to be, I would love to receive forgiveness, but obviously God doesn't know all I've done because he would never forgive someone like me. You ever thought that? If God knew everything I've done, in my past. There's no way I would get forgiveness for that. My sin is too big. Well, I'm just saying, east and west, your sin is not too big. Your past can be forgiven and removed from your possession. Think again about those scale, that scale of justice. When we were talking about our best behavior, how, how much that never could compare with the holiness of God. Well, in the same way, your worst sin, the worst thing you could ever do is never 
going to have any comparison to the payment that was paid by Jesus and the love and mercy of Jesus. There's no way I could compare. It is an eternal difference. It is east and west difference. His blood, his forgiveness covers everything. So I want us to think about east and west a little bit this week. If you ever catch yourself burdened by mistakes or by your past or by sin, think, no, as far as the east is from the west. Here's the thing about east and west is you can't look both ways at the same time, right? You have to say, well, either I'm going to go this way or this way. In fact, you, if you want to go one way, you have to turn your back to the other one in order to go this way. Well, I think some people here, and I meet people all the time who are trying to follow God, They're trying to follow the new life they have in Christ. They're saying, God, I want to follow you, but they keep looking back at their past, and they keep thinking, oh, but I did this, and I did this, and they're trying to do both things. You have to turn around and face the new life that Jesus has for you. East and west, your past is forgiven. Turn around. Your sin has been removed. Focus on the new life you have in Jesus Christ. We can't fix our sin problem, but Jesus did. It has been restored that relationship with God. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for you. As far as the east is from the west, so far will he remove your transgressions from you. Everything you've done, all your hurt, bitterness, unforgiveness, all your failure, everything you've ever done wrong, He can remove that and say, there's a new life in me. There is new hope in me. There is a new victory and forgiveness that I want you to walk in every day. So as we wrap up today, I want to talk to two groups of people. And you probably fit into one of these two groups. The first is those who have, you've received the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. You are followers of his. You've received his forgiveness. I want to challenge you in this, and this is how you can apply this message today. Jesus gives us, as his followers, the immense privilege of dispensing this grace to others in our world, right? We can go around and we can tell people about this grace, this new life. In a thirsty world, I told the story last week about the woman at the well where Jesus said, you can drink this earthly water all you want and you're going to thirst again, but the living water that I provide, you will never thirst again. We live in a thirsty world, don't we? We live in a world where people are looking for anything. We live in a world where certainly people are dismissing anything that can be seen as truth, anything that can be seen as eternal, but we live in a world where people are hurting and thirsty and looking for answers. And we, as Jesus' followers, we get to dispense this grace. We get to say, I have good news. I have good news. So often our message from the church gets lost in rhetoric and debate and politics and social agenda and all this stuff. And what our message needs to be first and foremost to a hurting world is there is forgiveness. There is good news. There is mercy. Your past can be forgiven. Your relationship with God can be restored. This is what we get to do. Let's make sure that our message that we are relating to the world is good news of God's grace. That's for the first group. If that's you, just be challenged with that. Live every day dispensing this grace to a thirsty world. And the second group I want to talk to is this. Maybe you're here and you have never experienced this grace. You've never acknowledged that you need a Savior. You've never received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Well, why not let today be the day when you do that? Why not let today be the day where you can say confidently, 
based on the truth of God's word, the truth of God's character, that your past is forgiven and you have new life in Christ. Those verses we read in Romans, I want to put one of those up there again, Romans 3.25. You can put that on the screen. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Atonement means the price has been paid. It's made right. This relationship is made right. As a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. To be received by faith. It is provided freely. The mercy and grace of Jesus is provided freely, but it has to be received. How is it received? It's received by faith. It's received by faith, simply acknowledging, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. My relationship with God is broken, and I need your forgiveness. We do this a lot in churches. We've done it here a few times where, and maybe you're used to this, or maybe you don't like it when preachers do this, but we'll have a time at the end where every head bowed and every eye closed, and we're actually going to do it, so I won't, you know, talk about it too much right now, but... You know, and everyone puts their head down and says, now, if you want to receive, raise your hand. Well, why do we do that? There's nothing magical about raising a hand. There's nothing. But what is significant is I think there's times where we all need to, as a sign that we are receiving that mercy by faith, that we are showing something, taking a step where it's like we're telling ourselves, no, I am receiving this by faith. I believe that the price has been paid for. But that's why sometimes we ask you to, you know, stand up or come to the front or raise a hand because it's good for you to have that moment where you say, yes, I am actually making a stand today. I, this is going to be a turning point. This is a marking moment. And that's why we ask you to, to raise your hand. So in a minute, we're going to do that. And I want to encourage you. Why would you not accept the new life, the forgiveness of your past that Jesus Christ has provided for you? This new life that we can walk in hope and victory, that we can live every day knowing our past is forgiven, our eternity with God is secure, that this relationship has been mended, and now every day I can walk knowing that the presence of God is in me, guiding me, leading me. Why would we not do that today? The mercy has been provided by Jesus, and we must receive it by faith. Let's pray together. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads, close your eyes, and I want to give an opportunity For those who have never done this, if you would like to take a stand today and say, Jesus, I've never done this. I've never acknowledged that I'm a sinner, but I want to receive your new life today. I want to receive your forgiveness today. If you would raise your hand, just as a sign to me that you're making that commitment, as a sign to yourself that you're taking a stand. I see that hand. Thank you for raising that hand. Anyone else? I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. I love that in the scripture it says, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The old is gone. And we have new life in Christ. Thank you for raising those hands. Anyone else just before I pray? So here's what I want to do. I just want to lead you in a prayer. And you can repeat after me. I'm going to ask the whole church to do this. It's a very simple prayer. And I'm just going to ask you to repeat it after me. And everyone's going to join you as I say. You can uh, repeat what I say. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I, acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge my sin. I know that I fall short. But I know you paid the price. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for dying for my sins. I receive mercy by faith. I receive mercy by faith. Thank you that I am made new. Thank you that I am made new. In Jesus' name. So, Lord, we thank you for this time together. I thank you that you are 
the, the dispenser of good news, of mercy and grace and love and forgiveness and freedom. You break chains. I pray for those who are still bound by their past. I pray that they would sense a release from that today. For those who are bound by addictions or patterns of sin, I pray that you would break those chains today. That you would bring freedom. That price that you paid on the cross not only pays for our sins, but it provides healing for us. It breaks the chains that the enemy has over us. So Lord, I pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just pray as we now live new life in Christ that we would learn more and more what it means to walk in faith, what it means to walk in new life, to have you as our Lord and Savior. So help us to follow you in every way. Help us this week, Lord, to look for others that we can share the good news with. We praise you and thank you for all you have done. As we head into the Easter season, may we just be so mindful. It's way more than just a story that we tell. It is everything to us. It is everything to us. It is new life. We thank you for that. So, Lord, may we honor you and praise you and thank you every day, knowing what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.